Welcome to the Urban Futures Podcast. This podcast is made possible by the Nestling Foundation, enabling learning, communication, and debate on the future sustainable development of urban cores. Joining us today from Madrid is Carlos Alvarez Pereira. Carlos is the president of the Inasis Foundation and a full member of the Club of Rome. He is speaking with us today to share knowledge on complexity theory and paradigm shifts and give his perspective on the future of civilization. Carlos, why don't we begin by talking about your personal story and what it has been for you to go from engineering to becoming so interested in the future of our world? Well, um, it's <clears throat> the answer to that is very personal. Of course, it's it's complex, as I think it is with everybody, but it's it starts really personal and and much earlier than I became an engineer. Uh, it started probably when I was 10 years old or something like that, because what happened is that my mother was a fan of the Club of Rome, a very early fan of the Club of Rome. So and when the when the club emerged and and started to launch its report and, and especially the limits to growth report, uh, I started uh, listening to my mother talking about that. And, uh, and I think she transmitted to me, not only to me, to the family, but in particular to me, uh, this feeling that something was not right, that something was wrong with our uh, the model of uh, development that we, we were uh, using in, in the world. And that got deep into me. The funny thing is that after that, I didn't take path of the addressing environmental challenges from the very beginning. So what happened is that I was good in math and other sciences, but especially in math. And I think my mind, I don't know how, but my mind was and is framed pretty much to quite naturally to systemic thinking. And uh, so I... I chose to be an engineer, I think, because of that, because of this combination of system thinking and <clears throat> and mathematics. And I, I went a bit, not far away, but uh, I didn't uh, develop my professional career first, mainly with environmental issues. Uh, I was for a time researcher and lecturer in mathematics at the, the Polytechnic University in Madrid. And through that, I I developed more thinking about about systems, and I got exposed to the perspectives of complexity from the side of natural sciences, and in particular from the works of uh, Ilya Prigozhin, who was a Nobel Prize in, in chemistry, and that's the first I start reading about complexity and uncertainty and uh, how... Uh, conventional science had limitations uh, to deal with real systems because real systems are complex. Not so long ago, I would say eight or ten years ago, at a point I decided this is so important I cannot skip addressing this. With this combination of the message from the Club of Rome, the original message of, of from the Club of Rome and the perspective of complex systems thinking. And there is a new initiative by the Club of Rome called the Emerging New Civilization Initiative, ENCI, 
you are actually part of it and you are working on a paper that you will be publishing in the coming fall. Let's talk about the initiative. Why is it important and what is the context? Yes, well, I, I definitely think it's uh, crucial. I'm, I am biased because I'm one of those who are pushing for this. Uh, the context is that um, we had the 50th, the 50th anniversary of the Club of Rome last year. So uh, it's you know it's a symbolic moment, uh, the symbolism of of uh, round numbers. You know, it's uh, it was a symbolic moment to make an assessment, in a way, an assessment of the past, but especially. Uh, questioning about the future, not, not only the future of humanity, but also the future of the club itself and the role it wants to play. And in that context, um, I mean, you can, you, can make, you can make different readings of what the club has achieved in, the, in its first 50 years. Uh, but at least I think um, it played a very important role in raising the awareness and the, the concerns of humanity about uh, our relationship with the biosphere and about uh, the unsustainability of our development models. And, and from that point of view, I think the mission is very much accomplished. But of course, for the future, we thought we couldn't stay uh, in saying uh, just that, hey, we were right we were right in the origins of the club. We were right when we published the limits to growth, uh, and because the world, although although aware, awareness uh, raised uh, has been raised a lot about these issues, we didn't change the course of the of the world. We have been following, and there are some studies which show that that we have been more or less following the business as usual path since uh, 1968 and, and therefore approaching to, to collapse. And in my view and the view of others, um, I mean, at the very least, if you look at what we have to do to deal with, with climate emergency, that starts with uh, changing our sources of energy from fossil fuels to renewables. I think the history of human civilizations show that uh, only that, changing your sources of energy, uh, changing the basic metab metabolism of society, is already means already a change in civilization. That's, that's already the, the foundations, the, the material foundations, are so different that I'm quite convinced that we will not achieve that without changing also many other things and without changing at cultural level. The outlook for humanity is about moving, the, the shift we are talking is nothing less than changing the foundations of our civilizations towards mm, something quite different, which is not only about using renewables and, uh, uh, instead of fossil fuels. It's about uh, making well-being, uh, making human well-being compatible with a, with a healthy biosphere. 
Um, and that's how, that's how he started. The, this initiative, the Emerging New Civilization Initiative, uh, started in October last year, and we are working on it. We are having uh, very good uh, discussions among members of the club. Um, in a way, connecting, uh, reconnecting or, or developing uh, what was the original message of the, of the club, which was to have to think in an holistic, systemic way and for the whole of, of humanity and, and the planet. So that's the origin of uh, ENCI. And also the point of saying emerging new civilization is because we believe that from situations of uh, emergency, the potential situations of collapse, uh, there are different paths to go out of them and something new can emerge out of that, something qualitatively new. And to a certain point, I think it's already emerging in a myriad of initiatives uh, around the world. So this is also the more optimistic perspective that something new and more positive can emerge. Carlos, um... Can you tell us uh, why uh, Renaissance was so important in bringing up these uh, new ideas and bringing us to closer to the modern world? Because I think that type of the transformation tells a lot about the ways that we need to be uh, looking at our current transformation. That's a very good question. <clears throat> First, because it's a question about what kind of shifts did we have in the past. At the at a macro level, uh, the analysis, the usual analysis, is that we had only uh, um, a couple of them, you know, in the in the whole history of humanity. So, the first one being the agricultural revolution. But th those shifts are, are macro and, uh, and, and mainly related to the material conditions of our, of our lives and of the lives of human societies. Sorry, a crucial aspect of this <clears throat> emerging new civilization initiative is that we have to think in a systemic way and holding complexity without uh, simplifying uh, simplifying the, the nature of reality, which means that we have to consider not only the material conditions and not only, for instance, technological innovation as a foundation of, uh, of, of something new, but especially the worldviews. You, you use that, uh, that term and I think it's most appropriate. Uh, worldviews or epistemology, how do we conceive our relationship uh, our relationship to the world? And uh, from that point of view, it's a very interesting and and difficult challenge because um, the dominant worldview in which we are uh, comes from, a certain type of thinking which was especially successful um, after the industrial revolution which is to, to summarize reductionism and mechanicism and uh, and that has been very useful and very effective in 
in providing ideas to develop um, the technologies we have, the artifacts we have, and making successful the, the industrial the industrial revolution. But that way of thinking uh, is not appropriate to consider uh, complexity as a whole and to consider our very deep and complex, again, relationship with the environment, with nature, with the biosphere. Where does this shift come from? From a combination of, I would say, something uh, relatively new, uh, which is the questioning of mechanicism and reductionism, and questioning from other perspectives, from the perspective of complexity sciences, from the perspective of cybernetics, in the in the original sense of the term, in the, in the sense of uh, the term of the discipline, also from the evolution of biology and and life sciences and and, and psychology, etc. So a number of disciplines have been in parallel evolving, and some people inside each discipline have found that oh my god, uh, we cannot analyze the world in in separate disciplines. There are commonalities among uh, all complex systems. This leads us to a scientific paradigm, which is quite different from the mechanicist one. That's one thread. The other one is as old as uh, humanity. And you can see that in a very vibrant way in indigenous people and their relationship to nature. Mm -hmm. that we are uh, rediscovering in a way or we are realizing that now that we face concrete concrete manifestations of the limitations of our industrial revolution or some of the outcomes of our industrial revolutions manifestations of pollution the destruction of biodiversity the destruction of natural habitats and environment and and these two threads, one which is modern but actually connects with uh, ancient wisdom, which has always been there, that we are part of a whole and uh, there is a fundamental unity in life and, and that we have been uh, at least partially destroying that unity. And these new perspectives on epistemology, on, on the realization that, well, mechanicism is good to, to build machines, but it doesn't explain the whole world. And I want to say that the formulation of this shift, it's also quite uh, heavily uh, based on the interdependence. Uh, I think we, we could say that. Uh, so interdependence is really the base. What are the gridlocks there, Carlos? Well, that <laughs> we don't we don't recognize uh, exactly. I mean, what you said is is uh, I think maybe it's the single piece of uh, truth we have to the most important single piece of truth that we have to build upon, you know. Uh, interdependencies and and uh, and and how because our worldviews are not built on that. Yes, our worldviews are built for now. The dominant, I mean, the dominant worldviews we have 
are built on the idea that we are individuals, uh, that societies are uh, collections of uh, individuals. And then we know that, of course, individuals are not completely isolated and that we have uh, friends, families, uh, and we are part of collectives and we have nations, cities, etc. But provided that the central concept from which we build, in particular, we build our institutions, is the individual, that separation, getting the individual out of, of uh, his or her context, and that's reductionism. And, and the, the, the exercise we have to, to make is to put interdependencies at the core. So interdependency doesn't mean that we forget that we, of course, we are individuals. We don't have to forget that. But that's a completely different approach. Because mm -hmm. if I start thinking about uh, the relationship we have, you and me, instead of three individuals, as something else built around our interdependency and how it evolves over time, well, you get to completely different places uh, building upon, upon that, you know. And, and I think a measure gridlock is in the way we think and, and um, in, the way, uh, in the way that way of thinking frames our responses to the questions that life uh, is asking all, all the time. Uh, hence, the question is, how do we change the way we think, you know, from this orientation of mechanicism, rationalism, um, reductionism, and everything focused on the existence of the individual as an isolated mm -hmm. entity towards interdependency. And it's also about inner transformation. I think it's it's really central. How do we, at the individual level, sort of have a, a mindset uh, that's shifting towards something different? Um, so, so inner transformation is mentioned uh, there as a perspective of systemic change. Um, what are these examples uh, that we, you think, or that we can think of, that are um, of individual transformations um, of our current times that we could relate to? We hear so much about, yes, we, we need inner transformation, the intervene has to have this shift, but do we know how to shift and do we have role models for that? Well, um, I mean, Inner transformation is definitely part of the game. I'm not sure it is the game. In a meeting we had in March in Dubrovnik on, on this Emerging New Civilization Initiative with 45 members of the Club of Rome and the World Academy of Art and Science, uh, the conversations were very exciting and, and, and we identified a number of different approaches to, to the transformation we have to push for in order to get this shift in civilization. And, and there are actually many. Uh, maybe there are as many as people on the earth, but, uh, but, uh, but a lot was expressed on, on, for instance, on technological innovation, on, on reframing economics, uh, on, other, on governance and transforming governance and, 
and getting some kind, some kind of global governance. Inner transformation was also there, for sure. And, uh, and when I say that, I'm not completely sure this is the, I'm not sure this is the whole game. So what happens uh, is that very often when people become aware of the, of the challenge we face, of the fact that we are um, destroying uh, nature, but, but actually destroying, more clearly, more clearly put, destroying the conditions uh, of our own survival as species. Mm -hmm. so in my view, we are not killing life. Life, life will continue, uh, possibly without us. You know, uh, we are we are destroying the conditions under which the human species can can survive. So when people realize that, which is a very un uncomfortable truth, um, many of them follow the path of uh, spirituality, of some kind of spirituality. And by the way, in many spiritual traditions, uh, this issue of, uh, of our conflict with life is already present. So I think in many spiritual traditions, there is the ancient wisdom that we have to be careful uh, in our relationship with nature and with life at large. And uh, and you can see that in uh, in 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 Laudato Si in the encyclica from the from the Pope uh, Francis. So you have a foundation in many spiritual traditions of a different relationship uh, with uh, nature and and the environment. That said. I wonder about when we say inner transformation, is it, and I think in many cases it is framed again as individual endeavors. You know, that the point is that you, we have to transform the individual and, and each individual has to transform himself or herself. And with that, the thing is, is done. We, we got it. Right. But uh, this is not, in my view, this is not the right epistemology uh, because this, of course, uh, the, the individuals have to uh, go through a process of transformation and, and reconnecting with their own capacities for system thinking. But that will not happen in isolation that will not happen from a in purely individual perspective. That has to happen in a, a collective perspective in the grasping and holding of complexity. That has to happen in, in interaction with others, you know, and in ways which uh, enable uh, us to think in, in, different, in different manner. I see that uh, some, Maybe um, some of the initiatives labeled under inner transformation are about uh, about the individual, very much about the the individual, and that's why I say um, that that may be part of the game, but it's not the game.
and Carlos, we have something in this particular time that no other civilization has ever had, which is the ability to use technology to expand our impact and the impact of our of humanity. Um, so my question is, what is the role that technology plays in these shifts? And how should we be seeing science in technology as a resource to make this necessary step forward? Um, towards a better future? Well, uh, in, a, in a nutshell, uh, I'm convinced we have to reframe the role of science and technology in order to get the shift right, uh, which means that uh, technology may have, and I think will have, an important role in the shift. But uh, in, it has to be, in a way, substantially different from, from the role it has today. We have perceptions. Uh, those perceptions are, are framed in certain frameworks of interpretation, and we, we have uh, our conscious thinking. And the gaps between, between all that, between reality and conscious thinking is are huge and 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 but we are intelligent enough and that's a chance to realize that to know that uh, but not yet enough to realize that these gaps produce blind spots the, the blind spot in which we have been living and are still living is the blind spot of believing that nature is here to provide uh, to be at our service that life in general i mean the this fundamental separation between humans uh, and, and the rest of nature and life, uh, taking for granted that nature is here for our service and we can exploit it uh, in an unlimited way for our own needs. You know. And technology, we have used it to accelerate that process of exploitation of uh, uh, not only of nature, also of other people, and uh, especially through colonialism and, uh, and, and, and this kind of, uh, of behaviors, you know. Uh, so technology has been an instrument in the service of a wrong uh, epistemology. Not, not only, I don't, I'm not saying 100%, but but mainly it has been a, and uh, and you can see you can see that very clearly when you realize that a lot of technology a lot of technological development most of it maybe not all but most of it has been driven by military purposes so purposes of of control and destruction of uh, other of other people and uh, this is why I say that we have to reframe it. So, for instance, if we talk about technology nowadays, most of people will think immediately in digitalization, digital artifacts, etc. Well, uh, digitalization and the internet uh, were something were something in thirty years ago in the when when that started with per, when personal computing started um, and and nowadays uh, you can see in what they have been transformed into something into a machine driven by consumerism 
you know, uh, the big players of the digital world today are companies whose um, growth and uh, whose business is based on, on, on consumerism. I mean, the, the business model of Google is still today uh, selling advertisements. Uh, that's the main source of their revenues. And uh, so can technology be used for the shift? Yes, for sure. In particular, uh, digitalization. We could think, for instance, of using uh, more information in our processes, not to reduce time and, and human work, but to reduce the consumption of energy and uh, other resources. But that's not what we are doing today, mainly. And uh, so this is why I say we have to reframe from a perspective of uh, different, asking different questions to technology. I think that technology seems to be part of the solution as much as it is part of the problem. Uh, thinking from a socio-technical perspective and this idea of the paradigm shifts, what are those interactions in terms of systems thinking between digitalization and sustainability that could lead us to planetary well-being in your view? In my view, it has to go through a reappropriation of uh, technological innovation. Um, because, uh, I mean, technological innovation is not something coming from the stars. Although, although you know, in mainstream economics, this is considered as an exogenous, exogenous factor. Uh, it's a social process. It's a social process which, uh, which is the result of an history, of course, as all social processes, and it is framed in a certain way today. You know? and, um, and, and, in, and in that way, it's very difficult that the process of technological innovation addresses uh, the questions we needed to address, the questions of uh, sustainability. As a matter of fact, what is what is ironic, or yeah, well, it is interesting to to realize, is that the sustainability community had a lot of expectations on the on the role of of digitalization for uh, sustainable development. Mm -hmm. but when you read what was being said. I mean, first, growing awareness about uh, sustainability issues and the uh, unsustainability of our models, and digitalization, at least in in its massive phase, where we start, which started in with uh, personal computing, are are uh, happened almost at the same time. That they that started almost at the same time. So the limits to growth report was published in '72. It was a bit in, in anticipation. The first computers, personal computers, were developed in the early 80s. The concept of sustainable development in the Brundtland report was coined in 97. Uh, so contemporary movements. And at the time and later, uh, the sustainability community was saying, oh, yes, we expect so much from this digitalization to help in, in for sustainable development. 30 years later, uh, you, we have to conclude that the, the implications, the consequences of digitalization are, of course, complex and many different 
you have many different effects. But overall, no, it has not helped uh, to sustainable development because of the way it is framed. And the way it is framed is that the criterion of success for technological innovation is success in the market, uh, is success in consuming, in increasing consumption, you know. And, uh, and well, mm, very difficult to combine that with a real uh, orientation towards sustainability, because sustainability is about making possible what is now an oxymoron, uh, human well-being and low, and low ecological footprint. So we have to introduce uh, experiments of different processes, of different social processes around technological innovation. And, and we, we cannot leave that only to the, in the hands of the people who are doing it in their sort of ivory towers and trying to, um, trying to bet on certain developments because they think that they will have commercial success. We have to introduce completely different criteria in the design of technology and especially the overall criterion of this has to provide maximal well-being, let's say, at the minimal footprint. Mm -hmm. uh, and that changes completely the way you design things. You, know? you, you mentioned earlier that the natural sciences had limitations uh, when they deal with complexity and with uncertainty. When you are in that domain, how should you be approaching this aspect in, in a way that uh, sort of open up the right connection or the, the right interaction to, to address these two aspects, the complexity as well as the uncertainty? Well, I mean, I think scientists are well aware of uh, if there is a domain where the concept of paradigm is quite clear and where people know that we shift paradigms, it is in science and especially in, in, in physics. I mean, you will not find any physicist today who would, who would say, oh, you know, the, the paradigm of classical mechanics is the only good one, you know, because uh, uh, that's the best uh, explanatory uh, instrument we have for to describe uh, physics. You know? uh, no one uh, will say that uh, the physics has developed, has been able to develop basically by, by questions, by addressing new questions and better questions, which is something we have to do. And sometimes I say, well, the role of the Club of Rome is, is to ask better questions. We have to do that. In, mm -hmm. in society and in social sciences in particular. So let's move now to the urban space. And from a systems thinking point of view, how do you see these theories being applied directly into the urban environment to support systemic change? I think, I think uh, that's a very interesting question, but I think the cities may provide the right field of experimentation for what we are talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, How is that? Well, I mean, not sure yet. <laughs> this is, this is, <laughs> this is a, uh, an hypothesis, and maybe it's an optimistic hypothesis. But, uh, but why do I say this? 
because what happens in physics is fine, you know. But uh, now we need uh, things happening in society and in our relationship to, to the biosphere and to ourselves and in our governance and our decision making and uh, etc. And, um, and in, for, in that, uh, the shift is the same. The shift is from um, rationalistic, mechanistic, reductionistic way of thinking centered on the individual as an isolated entity towards a uh, way of thinking centered on uh, interdependencies, mm -hmm. uh, which would lead to completely different, I think, completely different institutions, or at least a different behavior of institutions. And uh, instead of, uh, you know, governments and, and also corporations have these uh, traditional kinds of organigrams where reality is split into small pieces and and each department and each ministry is taking care of one piece, but uh, that piece is connected with everything else. So uh, there is no way to have a holistic strategy with this kind of organizations. And, uh, and uh, we have to, to, to change that, to, to make uh, organizations be able to work in a holistic way. And I think the, the right level where this is uh, this could happen is in cities, uh, is in communities, where the distance uh, between uh, between all dimensions of life is not so big, and and, uh, and the distance between the citizens and the institutions is not so big, and uh, and I think cities face all kind of uh, of issues and uh, and including the consequences of of collapse uh, uh, not only from climate emergency other kinds of of collapse so i think there is a window of opportunity to increase the intelligence of uh, cities um, by making the shift we are talking about, by, by adopting uh, new ways of systemic thinking. Mm -hmm. And it, I think it's much more difficult to do that at the level of the states, the, the nation, uh, the nations, because they are uh, farther from the real real issues and from the fact that everything is connected to everything in a in a city in a community in a community located in a place in a physical space it's much more obvious so this is why i see the opportunity what i call i think this shift will bring us more intelligence which is completely different from you know from this concept of smart cities uh, which in my view is uh, too limited, you know, because smart cities has been about selling technology to cities and, and in order to collect more information. But, uh, but if you collect more information in the same conceptual framework, you will not improve your understanding of reality. If you make people start thinking in different ways, you will uh, improve your knowledge and reality and you will increase the, the, the possibilities to find new solutions.
So what do you think cities need to do different in order to arrive to a different outcome? Well, I think it's a combination of different things. One is to ask better questions and questions related, directly related to the challenge of humanity, to the civilizational challenge, you know. Uh, how does we translate this concept of uh, high well-being at minimal footprint um, in the context of cities? That's a very good, uh, very good question. I know, for instance, a group, an association of cities uh, around Barcelona, uh, that's called B30, Mm-hmm. who are uh, starting to work as an ecosystem around the goal of zero waste. Uh, wow, that's a, that's a better question. I mean, if we believe in, in the concept of circular economy, uh, uh, this is quite clearly related to, to the idea of uh, mini- minimizing our footprint. Uh, if we believe in that concept, uh, why don't we try, that's a challenging question from which many other questions will come, uh, to try, we, we should be able to try this idea of zero waste. Can we conceive a world of uh, zero waste, you know? Mm-hmm. And And so I think it's a combination of asking better questions, which lead, I mean, this big question of zero waste or high well-being of minimal footprint. Of course, this is quite still quite abstract and and, and mm-hmm. general, but it leads to to other questions. And for instance, it leads to question of what is the relationship of a city with its own environment? What is the relationship of the city with nature? Uh, cities are very peculiar uh, places, uh, you know, uh, because in in their most extreme manifestations, they are designed for only one species, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, while o- every, any other place on Earth is not designed, uh, but is a place for many species. Uh, you know, for many, yeah, many different manifestations of life, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and cities have gone towards a model, a sort of obsessive model, to become places for one one species. The second is uh, new instruments to think, to think about those questions, to reflect about those questions. and And in that, what I'm saying is that we need to create spaces where people can think uh, uh, in a natural way, uh, can think in a systemic way, but not because they have followed a, a course on, on, on systems thinking or a master on systems thinking, just because they they use their own capacity, which is there. Mm-hmm. I am, I think, I mean, with others, many others, I think that we humans have a natural capacity to think in systems, which is not developed, to say the least, which is not developed by our current educational models. And uh, and, and Marco knows about that uh, much more than me. And But it's still there. Mm-hmm. So to create the appropriate conditions, 
for them. And the appropriate conditions is to get free from uh, rigid uh, hierarchies and, and hierarchies of thinking and, uh, and, and established ways of thinking, you know. If we want to think really out of the box, we have to create the conditions for people to think out of the box in a way which makes them aware of uh, complexity and of uh, connections of between contexts, etc. And create a dynamic in which they are able to think differently and then to propose solutions, really different solutions. Carlos, if you were to think about a point of intervention, um, what do you think that point should be within the context of the urban system? Um, health. I would, I, would, uh, I would say health would be a good point to start with. And um, Why health? Well, because, <clears throat> because health, when it happens, is a manifestation, is a holistic manifestation in itself. So when you feel when you feel good, when you feel when you are you are you as a person or uh, an ecosystem as an ecosystem feels healthy, it is because it's a combination of many different uh, billions of processes going on uh, together. I mean, they can be contradictory, but overall, it's it works together. So health is uh, is holistic in its uh, in by construction. An another thing is that we way, the way we address health in the in the Western world, uh, we divide health into again into small pieces and 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 doctors uh, specialties and uh, and we separate what happens with the heart from what happens with our uh, skeleton with what happens from other organs you know mm -hmm. but health at the root is an holistic uh, uh, issue and where you cannot uh, separate so in in a city um, Oh, everything is uh, connected to health, and health is connected to everything. Health is connected to mobility, of course, mm -hmm. mobility patterns. Uh, and now we know that uh, betting on on personal cars as a fundamental uh, element of mobility is not the best option for health. That's obvious. Uh, health is uh, connected to uh, to energy. Uh, a city with a lot of fossil fuels, and, uh, and I, can put, can, I can put the example of Madrid, mm -hmm. uh, because of the of the geography, the orography of of Madrid uh, and the and the climate, which is so dry. There is a direct connection between our uh, the use of uh, the, the sources of energy we are using, which are mostly fossil fuels uh, and the quality of air and the impact of the lack of quality of air on health. And, uh, and there is an, a very clear uh, connection. So health is connected to that, to, to energy. Health is connected to the way we live, 
health is connected to the fact that and may, maybe this is the most important factor because I think we basically die of loneliness more than anything else. Although uh, many times health is about is a conversation about uh, your genes and your predispositions to certain to certain uh, illness, I think we mostly die of loneliness and 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 the relationship between uh, uh, how a city is and loneliness. If people are able to find public spaces where they can relate to each other in a healthy way. Uh, it's also very clear. So, and some types of cities design uh, don't facilitate being with others. They facilitate just the contrary. They facilitate uh, loneliness. So, one thing we which could be tried is why don't we put in the same room uh, public servants from different uh, services, health uh, health workers, uh, people from social services, uh, teachers, uh, doctors, nurses, uh, but also firemen, policemen, with citizens mm -hmm. uh, to discuss health, you know, mm -hmm. and the different contexts of health. Health is Health is obviously related to food, again, another dimension, and the kind of food we eat, uh, and if it comes, if it is completely industrialized, and, and, in, and it comes from the other side of Earth, or if it is uh, produced at local level. So I would choose that. Carlos, we are coming to the end of our program. Fast forward 2050 and beyond, we have already undergone uh, a shift in paradigm. What is the type of civilization that we should expect? Well, <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure we should expect that. <laughs> we have to build <laughs> to build it. You know, uh, it will not happen by itself. Let's not take that for granted, especially when you see uh what is happening you know mm, but i think i think there is an opportunity for a paradigm of uh reconciling reconciling human life with life at large mm -hmm. and uh, and and now they are in conflict because because our civilizations our modern civilizations are built upon the idea that of of material progress and unlimited growth and now we know this idea is in conflict with the health of the biosphere and ultimately we're out with our own health so paradigm is that is uh, the, the, the reconciliation between human well-being and, and life at large i see that happening in communities uh, I say that happening through experimentation first. I mean, uh, nobody will have uh, the magic plan, and it's not about planning. Mm -hmm. uh, many times, which is a challenge in itself, because many times 
I see that happening in the in the sustainability community, where people are are aware of complexity. Okay, they 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 know yes that reality is complex and everything is connected with everything, but a second later we are asking for linear solutions of how to go from point E to point B in ten easy steps. Well, we don't have that, and we will never have that. Also, because life is in the is in the journey, mm -hmm. not in the destination. And I use very often a quote that maybe you already know from our poet Antonio Machado. Uh, in English, it sounds worse than in Spanish, so I will say it in English and then in Spanish. Uh, but the in English it would say it would be. Walker, there is no way one makes the way by walking. And uh, in Spanish, it's uh, caminante no hay camino, se hace camino al andar. And I truly believe in that, in that we cannot draw a, a picture of uh, the future we want. It's more important to know how to walk. One of my colleagues in the Club of Rome, Kate Roworth, say that we are all developing countries. Mm -hmm. all, all of countries in the world are developing because we are all quite far from uh, achieving sustainable development. Mm -hmm. Some countries because the, 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 the footprint is extremely high, some countries because uh, the footprint is, is not so high but the levels of, of human well-being are low. So we are all developing countries. Uh, all far from that point where we should converge. And uh, in, in that sense, it's about creating a new kind of intelligence in communities, because it cannot happen at individual levels or at the level of individual institutions, but in communities all around the world and maybe happening first in, in places in Africa or or Latin America mm -hmm. than in uh, than in Europe or the or the USA, uh, where I think we will have more reluctance to abandon our. Uh, I mean, we have been so successful in material terms, uh, and the consequences of that have been suffered by others. By by nature and by most of the world, you know, but we have been so successful that for Europeans and North Americans, it's a real challenge to to recognize, oh my God, our model was wrong. And now we have to find out how we can decrease dramatically our footprint without losing our well-being in the, in the process. This concludes our episode, Complexity Theory and Paradigm Shifts perspectives on a new future for civilization. Thank you for listening. See you next time.